The date is Friday, November 27th, and you're listening to Entertain This, a thought-provoking podcast encapsulating all things entertainment. In this episode, we have a couple of very special guests join us to tell us about a facet of nerd culture that's so popular and yet nobody has heard of. We're of course discussing Magic the Gathering, so sit back, buy a pack, and enjoy. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another exciting episode of Entertain This! Entertain This! As always, I am your intrepid host, I'm Alex. I'm Michael. And I am Nick. Guys, welcome to the end of another month, the closing of the shop. We are we are tidying up, we are sweeping up the floors, uh, we're getting ready to open a new next month. And as always, at the end of the month, we bring in a little help to just carry us over that threshold, to bring us into the new uh, and I am so honored this week. Uh, we have a very special set of guests this time on our show, and it is some nobodies. Hello, guys. Thank you very much. Guys. Yeah. Oh, hi. This is Zach and Dylan. <laughs> we we are. I didn't see you there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hello. Classic. Ah ha ha. I'm Zach, and we're a set. Yes, my name is Dylan. I'm the other half of that. <laughs> and as I said, they are uh, they are yeah. from a uh, a group called Some Nobodies. They are a uh, kind of an entertainment hub. You guys, uh, I don't know if you guys would call yourselves an entertainment hub, but I would classify you as that. I would use the word hub. I'll yeah. take it. <laughs> because I've never I mean, been accused you, of being a hub before. You guys do more than just like podcasts, and you guys have multiple podcasts that you do. Um, you guys also have a TV show I know that you guys have in the works, right? Yeah, yeah. we're doing a whole bunch of things. We have, uh, we have a TV show currently for IBM mm-hmm. TV. Uh, that's a, a show comes on every Sunday at 4.30 um, Eastern Time, and that's a 90-minute writer's room style show where Dylan and I kind of sit down and show people our method of creating stories and uh, utilizing 100% of our brain power to uh, engulf a new fictional world. Um, but yeah, we also have a multi a magnitude of podcasts. We do review shows like from Lovecraft Country, which was an awesome HBO show. We have uh, scripted shows like uh, our hit series Silicon Angels. Um, <laughs> we do other improv and uh, slightly scripted shows. We have one called a podcast podcast, a podcast show where we find <laughs> um, egregiously bad podcasts mm-hmm. and. Um, and also just some uh, mildly entertaining <laughs> and uh, and review them for people. Oh right! And uh, I don't know. Yeah, we <laughs> we do a whole bunch of weird. Yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, <laughs> uh, we do a whole bunch of weird stuff, and uh, we're just trying to entertain people and create uh, original content mm-hmm. non nonstop. Yeah, we love that here. <laughs> awesome. uh, we have actually participated in your TV show as well as the podcast, the podcast, 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 mm-hmm. podcast. Uh, which is which is oh, why wow. I think is why you guys did that little save there where you were like and some you know mildly entertaining. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't worry about it. <laughs> there was a couple we, good we, ones in there. Yeah, the we came out fairly unscathed from your review of us, which I felt pretty yeah. good about. <laughs> you did, and that's that's odd because you guys also talked about Banksy, which is one of my favorite artists ever. And I was like, these guys are disrespecting one of my favorite <laughs> artists. I'm, I'm gonna give them a hard time. And then I actually listened to like another episode. I was like, "Oh, actually, these guys are real cool. Like, I- I'm okay with this." <laughs> Zach was kind of heated. So, yeah, yeah. I don't was. blame you at all. I brought well. We, as we've talked about before, uh, now that we've mm-hmm. become pretty good friends, pretty well familiarized with each other, 
Um, but we usually bring stuff that not everyone knows about. So at the time, we had a guest host on, and Nick and the guest host didn't really know too much about Banksy when we walked nope. into it. But at, by the end of it, they were both like, man, this guy's really cool, which is, yeah. you know, what, what, what this yeah. podcast is all about. And that's what yeah. we kind of hope to do today. But first off, uh, we do have a couple questions for you guys just to kind of introduce you further to, um, to our audience just so they get a better feel for you guys before we jump into that, if you guys are cool with sure. that. Awesome. Wait, I'm here. Awesome. Partially. Okay. So you guys kind of <laughs> already went over uh, what some nobodies is. Um, and I guess my next question would be, uh, what's your guys' origin story? If uh, they were to make a, a kind of biopic of some nobodies, uh, how would that movie begin? I was going to ask that. Um, <laughs> uh, I guess I guess it starts back in um, January of 2019 when I was bitten by a radioactive Dylan <laughs> and uh, absorbed some very wild uh, Caucasian power. <laughs> God, I love you guys so much. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, uh, Dylan and I actually, uh, I, I moved, I moved to, to Colorado not, not too long ago, about two and a half years ago. And, um, I got, I got a job at the same place that Dylan worked at. And I had this weird kind of tendency of, uh, getting a little bit bored at work and just walking up to Dylan and being like, Hey, what do you think about this? And he's like, we should make that like a movie. And then like the next day I'm like, Hey, what do you, Hey, do you, know, you ever think about sex robots? And he's like, what do you mean? All the time. <laughs> yeah, like, well, of course. Way, way more than yeah, you no. want to know about. <laughs> right. But how many people think about the IT crew of a sex robot mm. manufacturer, which is obviously where my brain goes. So I was like, hey, what kind of questions do you think like the IT crew of a sex robot has to go through? So that was kind of like. Oh, my God. I will say. Sex robot QA. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, so I would say that's probably like our genesis was the creation of Silicon Angels and trying to figure out if that could be a movie or a web series or a, a TV show and then realizing that uh, I have zero talent when it comes to tech so I was like let's just make it audio format in like a found you know yeah. like a found uh, footage kind of thing so um, yeah it just kind of, it kind of all spun off from that and then mm -hmm. I just keep bombarding Dylan with weird ideas and keep asking him to write oh, scripts yeah. for me, so. <laughs> just wake up to a text and it'll be like good morning sent at 345 a.m. what do you think about and I'm like all right bullet points and then yeah yeah today's even today's today's is weird today yeah. i woke up at like 2 30 and i was like i wonder if the fountain of youth only works on like the parts that it touches in water like if the whole body disintegrates around mm. it and just the brain and the lungs are alive and it just sounds like some kind of body horror so i was like well maybe dylan would want to know this so i'm like hey is this a show <laughs> and i'm like and I, <laughs> can this be podcast number 19 i sent you a response it's like a you know stranger things but with some actual weird stuff in there <laughs> yeah I love <laughs> Turns that. Turns out real immortality were the friends we made along the way. Wow. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, our origin story is uh, just us kind of uh, uh, being like-minded individuals mm -hmm. who, who like weird content. Our, our creativity, our styles mesh very well. Zach was an improv comedian for a long time, and so he's very good at just kind of spontaneously generating things. Mm. And I'm, I have a writing degree, and I've been writing for a while but my issue comes with the genesis of something and sticking with something so when zach will spit something out i'm very good at spinning it into something that we can both kind of build on you you yeah, guys are like the uh the peanut butter and jelly of the podcasting world or maybe the the peanut butter and chocolate it's always peanut butter and something yeah we'll yeah. get stuck in your mouth that way <laughs> <laughs> need, need to drink some water afterwards 
Weird. <laughs> I don't know what that means. There, you can edit al- that out. Already, no, we're keeping it. Already there, <laughs> there have been so many goes. moments that I would print on a t-shirt. And I think one of them oh, is yeah, morta- mortality was actually the friends we made along the way. That's a good one. <laughs> That's right. And uh, yeah, that, I really no. like we're like peanut butter will get stuck in your mouth. Those are those are the two t-shirt ideas I already have. Ugh. <laughs> I don't think you'd be allowed to wear that second one in public. You'd be surprised. It's going to blow our PG-13 <laughs> rating. Nick, do you got a question? Um, well, Alex stole my question. Um, but <laughs> he stole my only question. I was going to ask how you guys got got started, but um yeah, I think you guys pretty much. Oh, very good, very good. Good question. That's actually a very good question, uh, Dylan. Yeah, you I'll take this. One? Okay. Uh, so I got irradiated once, and Zach came up and startled me, and in my scaredness, I bit him. Uh, <laughs> oh, this is. Uh, we had a few false starts. We had tried to round up a little bit of a group beforehand, and then it just kind of whittled its way down to us and whoever we can get to come onto the mic. Hmm. I, I still really like that, though. I think that uh, yeah. a lot of what you guys do, um, I personally really enjoy because it's. It's not characters that you guys are playing. You guys are you. Um, and it's it's very kind of kosher that way. And I think that it's really nice, that the kind of chemistry you guys bring. Appreciate it. I agree. I, I, yeah, I, I think one thing that makes Dylan and I uh, separate is that we uh, genuinely get along, have very interesting conversations, and mm-hmm. can also corral a bunch of people to get to do stuff for us so we don't need to do it. Yeah, we... we <laughs> That's a we big have, power. We have, uh, Assuming, of course... <laughs> Assuming, of course, there isn't a pandemic raging. Yeah, that was actually (laughs) another one of my questions was, uh, have you guys seen, like, more difficulty since the pandemic started? uh, And what kind of measures have you taken um, to kind of keep the the podcast going or the shows going through this? Well, ironically, two of our shows that were the most successful are were were in the middle of a dip. So they were our season one had already ended and we were kind of working out. Uh, the storyline for season two when the pandemic got very, very bad. We're like, hey, maybe people shouldn't be getting together just to record some mm-hmm. stupid fictional stories. Um, so all we really had going on was our TV show, Talking Upstream, which we've now formatted to be more uh, of a remote remote mm-hmm. recording. And then we're trying to we're trying to figure out shows that we can kind of uh, maintain ourselves while the pandemic is going on mm-hmm. until we can get you know all fifteen of our actors back together to you know to, to do all of our other shows. That we kind of want to keep going. So um, it, it, it actually Dylan and I had a conversation yeah. today about what we're trying to do and and, and how to how to effectively because you know. Colorado itself is a coronavirus hub. It's it's one of the worst places. Yeah, and, you know the, the the peaks are getting worse, and they you know it was like a uh, a red level, a red level threat, and then they invented purple level mm-hmm. threat. Uh, oh snap! Just yeah. recently, so so things are very very weird here, and we just want to make sure that people are being uh, number one safe, and, and just to record voice acting isn't smart enough to have people risk nah, their lives or whatever. So yeah, we're trying to formulate. Something new, something original. We're kind of in the process of getting something to go in that requires less people Mm -hmm. and can be done on a more actively remote basis. Because a lot of Silicon Angels and a lot of other stuff was really reliant on the improv chemistry between a lot of the people we would be able to gather. Mm. Not really an environment we can maintain right now. Yeah. So that sort of stuff we've had to shelve, and it's been a little bit of a reconfiguration to try and get our brains wrapped around something that's probably a little more scripted and are probably a little more like f- pieces fit together yeah 
Yeah, and the only downside to all that is that we've been really pushing hard with our TV show and doing you know other people's shows and trying to make friends like you guys and uh, a couple other people. And like now that things are slowing down, it's like we don't know what to do anymore. But other people are reaching out to us and be like, "Hey, can you guys make a show for our network?" And we're like, "Maybe." <laughs> you know, I, we have ideas, but we don't really want to get invested in something right now. So mm-hmm. it, it 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 is hard when you're in a creation mode and you know Dylan and I are. are our style isn't very chit chatty, like as far as podcasts go. Our, 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 you know, conversational style is that. But when we come down to actually recording something, it is very thought out. It is kind of like meticulous, and you know, we try to figure out what we're doing, where we're going with it. So um, it just doesn't really make sense to do that currently, you know. So we're we're figuring stuff out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that uh, I that mean, sense. if there was a time for a pandemic to hit, I'm glad that it wasn't like the early 2000 2010s when like podcasts were first starting because i mean nowadays we have things like discord and we have things like being able to record Mm -hmm. separately and throw it all together um to kind of still make the production of podcasts happen i know like when the pandemic first launched entertain this went fully digital like we were on uh like zoom calls we were on discord and we were doing things that way um but yeah it's good that you guys are keeping safe and making sure that uh, what you guys are making is still like keeping people safe and and being mindful of people's health. That's really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really. Oh yeah, that's actually. Yeah, I really so appreciate good. that. That's a big priority of yours. Like that means a lot. Um, but yeah, I, I I've got a a pretty good question. Um, so you all have worked on a lot of like really awesome stuff that uh, is just really enjoyable to consume. Um, so what what would you say is like one of the works that you're most proud of? Oh, go ahead, Bill. I am really proud of how Silicon Angels came together at the end. I think the we went into it with because Zach approached me at work and the initial conversation was about what this IT department like the technical support calls for a sex doll company would be like, and I'm like. You think we can get something out of that? And he goes, I don't know, we should research it. So we kind of, we looked into it a little bit and work in retail and customer service. We had a, you know, a pretty good pool to draw from. And, you know, we, we, we kind of wrote it by the seat of our pants for a while there. And then as like, we planned out early on what kind of arcs we wanted to cover. We wanted the development of something like, you know, sinister corporation. We wanted some tech development. We wanted... You know what? What? What's a funny idea we could carry throughout? What if there's a a guy who like a serial killer who only kills robots and that sort of thing? <laughs> so when we laid out the ideas in the episodes, we kind of like slotted everything in, and as we got closer to the end, we had this moment about halfway through where we're like, we should really start wrapping some of this up because we're just keep adding a bunch of stuff. And I think together he and I really like we really came together with something that's pretty tight for a for, for a single season so far, like for a first season. I think that doesn't leave a whole lot of threads dangling and has a really good lead in for what might come next. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm a I'm a huge yeah. fan of Silicon Angels. Um just because like it's something so out of the box and different. I think it's one of the main things that like after because initially how uh, entertain this and some nobodies came together was because of the you guys reviewing our podcast, but in doing that like we, I delved into like all the stuff that you guys did and that was one of the things where I was like oh man look at these guys like look at them go mm-hmm. like that was one of the more uh, <laughs> impressive creative things yeah. that I've seen done with the medium for sure yeah we we yeah, silicon- we had a long text thread at one point going about just like 
Like, look at how much shit these guys are doing. This is incredible. <laughs> they have so many podcasts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> Silicon Angels was, uh, it, it was very cool from the very beginning because, like, uh, yeah, that one day that I kind of asked that question, uh, it, it got the whole place, you know, our, our place of employment, yeah. kind of everyone was chatting about it. <laughs> and it, it the, the, the start of it was, it was going to be me and Dylan and then another guy at work, and it was going to kind of be, like, three cubicles and only seeing the people from behind and then dealing with one side of the conversation and then trying to get the guests to figure out what these guys are, you know, working on. Mm. And that turned from that into, you know, something else and then not knowing how to film that into just having a bunch of people, you know, together being like, hey, what do you guys think? dudes are going to do with sex dolls that are going to break it and uh and then we would have we would have like a weird idea and then be like okay who's the tech for this one and who's you know the the customer for this and we just go just go ahead and improv this and then dylan will quickly write a couple things out real fast and uh and then yeah by like episode five we realized that we were naturally putting some people into like story arcs and we're like, hey, where can we actually start going with this? And we had like even com- like fake commercial, their their stories had arcs. And then some techs had arcs, customers had arcs. There was like a serial killer in there that was like killing robots because they thought that that was okay instead of killing people. Uh, and just everything just kind of wrapped itself up very, very tightly and neatly. And when we saw a couple of our reviews and, you know, some people were like, I don't know what this is, <laughs> but just keep listening. And a cu- and then we would have one. It's like, you actually understand the humanity of what these guys are trying to do. We get the sense of humor. We understand the jokes. And it's like, wow, they actually get what Dylan and I were trying to do with these, you know, with these jokes to begin with. So uh, talking upstream, I think, is, is something I'm very proud of because we've recorded, I think, 16 episodes at 90 minutes each. So we have over 24 hours of just me and Dylan talking and creating original content. Um, but the finished product of Silicon Angels, I think, will some- it's something that I will always be probably the most proudest of uh, of something i've created <laughs> that's awesome that's very so cool. uh, and just for clarification where's silicon angels available it, literally everywhere okay. if you, if you <laughs> every yeah, you major any podcast every major podcast, yeah, any podcast thing if you go anywhere and just type in some nobodies you'll most likely see silicon angels first but if you go to any podcast thing and type in silicon angels you'll probably see a couple different versions of it um because we were on a different you know service for a little bit then we transfer service and some things are lingering but we're on podcast uh things that i didn't realize that we were on like there's something called deezer which is apparently like a, a european uh podcast and i found it somehow and just searched silicon angels and people in belgium are loving silicon angels uh i i would i would find the weirdest like like this one podcast uh thing called hubble never heard about that but somebody reached out and was like hey i represent hubble can we uh, review silicon angels and i'm like what is this but sure go ahead um so yeah it, it is literally everywhere that you can find anything the silicon angels is a very weird but awesome show it's really cool. Yeah, that's I like, I'm, super I cool. love even just like your all's website for it is like mandatory extended warranty with all mod. Like, I love this sort of like slightly like immersive content that's really witty. It's really nice. <laughs> well, actually, to, to touch on that, uh, Silicon Angel started as a, a, a different project. So we created uh, we created another human. And his name is Simon Vanderbland, and he has a Facebook page. He has like a thousand f- uh, friends. He uh, he's the one who actually started Silicon Angels. And the way it started was that he had a YouTube channel called Simon Addresses where he was teaching people how to clean tech and stumbled upon all of these, you know, uh, this call was recorded for training purposes. And then he was trying to 
to find out what this mystery was. So Simon Vanderbland is the guy who created Silicon Angels. So currently, if you look him up on Facebook, he has a Twitter account, he has a Facebook, he has everything, and he's on the run. He's been checking in all over the country because uh, Silicon Angels, the company, is looking for him to, to, to kill him. So uh, we're trying to set ourselves up with this fake character, which never really eh. kind of popped off, but whatever. It gave I us a like really that. good foundation. Yeah, it kind of yeah. gives an ARG yeah. vibe, which, I mean, mm-hmm. fans of our podcast know I'm super into. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was about to say that. Yeah, we just wanted we wanted one weird person somewhere to, like, stumble upon Silicon Angels and see that it's done by a guy named Simon Vanderbland, would be able to look up Simon and find him, would be able to look up, and like, even Silicon Angels has a Twitter account that's shut down. It has, like, a, it has an Instagram that's shut down. So you can actually find breadcrumbs that this company kind of exists. And, you know, I, I really wanted those, Dylan and I talked about this was we really wanted those kind of meta breadcrumbs slash easter eggs to kind of just rumble people in the internet if they happen to stumble upon it that's super cool (laughs) i love that (laughs) thank you yeah it's very it's very it's very thought out i hope it's cool yeah (laughs) uh does anybody else have remember everyone good remember everyone silicon angels it's technically love (laughs) it's technically (laughs) Uh, that was all zach and it was perfect beautiful oh my god that's incredible uh we'll we'll put a link down in the in the show notes uh to some form of silicone angel so people can go check it out definitely something you guys need to go check out Mm -hmm. um but with all that being said does everybody uh is there any more questions uh that either nick you or michael have i guess i'd have um, (laughs) so so you know how people have shower thoughts right I was wondering yeah, of course. where you guys had uh, most of your ideas for this kind of stuff. Does it happen at a particular time and place, or is it just like as you're going about your day? Or So for me, um, about a couple months ago, I had pretty bad spine surgery. Um, so I have to get up. I don't sleep very well, so I get up at like 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and I take just like a walk around Colorado. <laughs> uh, and it, it's something about like yeah, the mountains and uh, the sunrise, and I get the weirdest ideas. And that's when Dylan gets those crazy texts from me. Uh, and they're always like 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning because I like woke up, and I'm like, oh, I wonder what squirrels are up to today, you know? <laughs> and uh, so for me, it's literally just walking around uh, super early in the morning. Yeah. I don't know. My idea is I... Usually it's something that people like just say during the day and then I'll kind of latch onto a phrase or something and be like, that sounds like a bit from a conversation. What could justify me using that? And then usually there's something Zach sent me or some sort of idea that he could, that he's provided that I could be like, all right, well, if I plug it in there, it can kind of go this way from it. That's really kind of the basis for mine. It just kind of comes um, inspired by other people. I mean, they're all communicate. the The entire format of Silicon Angels is phone calls, communication. So, by having communications with people, you tend to get a lot of uh, material. Yeah, for yeah. sure. That'll do. That's, it. that's great. Okay, uh, I think as is tradition for our guest episodes, um, you guys brought a topic to us for us to discuss um, that we have not yet talked about on the podcast. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. As far as I know, yes. Well, we are very excited. excited. Uh, So let's go ahead and delve into that. You guys can go ahead and take the lead if you'd like. All right. I'm going to go ahead and start this off since I think Dylan's going to provide the majority of the content. (laughs) Um, 
when it comes to like nerd stuff, nerd culture, or just overall pop culture, um, Dylan and I, we, 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 we touch on a couple things. Um, and one that we kind of hit on early on in our friendship that we uh, really found familiar and kind of expanded on was the fact that we love Magic the Gathering so much. And so one of our first conversations that we had about nerd stuff was, you know, games. Uh, Dylan is a big fan of this game called Fiasco, which he brought to my world. Uh, I'm a big game, uh, a fan of games like Key Forge and other like Magic style games. So we kind of connected on this and Dylan has a vast knowledge of this game and the lore that goes with it. Um, even his, if you look on his, uh, uh, on his discord channel, uh, his name itself is a magic, the gathering reference. So, um, yeah, magic is something that is near and dear to our hearts. My little brother, uh, has played magic since, you know, he's was able to hold cards. He's nationally ranked and, uh, MTG is, it's, it's a big deal in our world. So, um, that's what we like to talk about today. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, for myself, like Magic, um, I first learned about it. It's been called like the most popular card game that nobody's ever heard of. Mm-hmm. And for good reason, like between, I think, 2006 and 2016, they printed like 20 million cards. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really Something prolific. Like that. Yeah. I've been playing it since I was like seven. The older kids at the art camp I used to go to would play it and I would just kind of stand there and watch. So they taught me how to play it and... Being a big nerd, my dad was a big Lord of the Rings fan, so being introduced to another kind of magic fantasy setting at such an age was kind of perfect. Um, and I mean, I play. Su- I'm super casual. I don't do tournaments really. I don't do any sort of stuff like that. Uh, but every once in a while, magic will like kind of swerve its way back into my life, and I'm like, yeah, that was, that was a good. Good ten to fifteen years I spent with that game. <laughs> I still have my cards here somewhere. Like I brought all my loose ones. Yeah, there's there's something there's something I really like about like the casual nature of just playing magic with friends. It's just like just like engaging enough with your brain while still being able to banter back and forth about uh, whatever's happening. Yeah, it's one of those cool games where like when you're doing something else and either somebody happens to see that you have like a deck box or if somehow Magic the Gathering comes up and you're like, wait, you play two? And it's like, yeah, okay, what decks do you have? Because let's play right now. <laughs> so yeah, it, 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 it's an interesting thing where like you're, you're really shy and hesitant at first, but once you find someone else plays, it's you want to know exactly how deep they are and you're pretty sure you can beat them with at least one of your decks. Yeah. <laughs> so Nick, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think uh, at least for the current format, uh, Michael, you know a lot about Magic. I know that you own a couple of decks. I've, I've played it. I understand the rules of it. I've won probably two games of it, which isn't, it kind of goes to tell how much I know about it. Um, oh. And then Nick, I believe you are unfamiliar, correct? I know literally nothing about Magic the Gathering other than I know you awesome. play with cards and I know a lot of nerds play it. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Okay. I just know that like, that type of crowd prefers to play these type of magic board uh, fantasy realm kind of card games. So fill me in, back so up the train, be, tell me all about it. Yeah, we may... <laughs> We may be asking a lot of questions this episode. It'll probably be Nick and I in the back seat while you guys yeah. drive this car. But I'm, right. I'm yeah, excited you're gonna for hear, the journey. You're going to hear a lot of you're going to hear a lot of just mm-hmm, oh yeah mm-hmm, <laughs> all right for me perfect. <laughs> what is a you know, card? I, so oh, I'm yeah. I'm ready to get these two into magic. I about a month ago I spent about hundred and fifty dollars on random decks that I can just throw at them whenever they come over, so sure. I can get them. Finally you got to spend money to play some- this. 
Oh, yeah. This is not Warhammer. This isn't a free I was about to say, wait until you hear about Warhammer. It's not Warhammer, but it's close. I hate pay-to-play games. Hardcore crack. Yeah, Magic's one of those kind of games where, like, every three to four months, at least when it was, like, churning hardcore, they would put out new whole sets of cards. And then once every, like, three or four sets, you would get a new core, and then that would make a bunch of mm-hmm. cards just obs- obsolete yep. and illegal to use. So you would spend millions of dollars like on the best of the best, and then in three months, you're like, well, I can't use any of these cards anymore. So how does that work? For, they just release still, new that decks? That still is how it goes, <laughs> like so continuously? For a, well, so for a long time, they changed this recently. They used to do, they released the core set originally, and then they would release expansions, because it's a collectible card game. And each expansion was part of a three-expansion block based around a theme, generally a genre. So the first one was Arabian Nights that had a lot of, like, a thousand and one tales content, like Aladdin, a lot of genie stuff, a lot of Arabian Nights-style things. They moved onward, they've done... A lot of it focused around one specific kind of, like, universe, because the 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 entire card game is driven by a storyline set in the multiverse, so that way they have excuses to do whatever genre, whatever setting they want. They've done gothic horror, they've done uh, cons on the step, they've done like Japanese shogunate, they've done classic European, they did... They've done Greek? They did Greek. Yeah, mm-hmm. Theros was a weird one. They yeah, did, yeah I'm, actually, I'm actually getting ready to DM uh, a game uh, yeah. for these guys set in the Theros universe. The uh, D&D 5e actually released a setting book so you could run them in Theros, which I thought was a weird yeah. choice. I figured Innistrad would be more of a D&D style, but... Yeah, they, they've also done uh, Ravnica as well, which is, like, essentially a Cor- setting... It's set Coruscant. It, <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah, basically. So, Just a giant think, planetor- planetary city. So I know that there is a connection between D&D and magic, and I wonder if in the origin of Magic the Gathering that, that kind of secret is held. Um how did magic come about and what i know they're both wizards of the coast but what is its relation to dnd well i'm glad you asked because oh, i wrote thank up you. a google doc summarizing the entire <laughs> wikipedia article excellent um, we love writing <laughs> no. segues we're all about that so first thing you should know is that magic was made by a dude who was a doctorate candidate in mathematics um he did Richard like the Garfield. Math rocks. yeah <laughs> <laughs> He, uh, Richard Garfield, he designed, like, Smash Up, Key Forge, a bunch of other stuff. He was a doctoral candidate in combinatorial mathematics. Ew. Met up with two other massive, massive nerds and decided to develop, like, a com- a, a convention game inspired by Cosmic Encounters and Stratomagic Baseball. What are those things? <laughs> Cosmic Encounters is like a sci-fi game where you fight monsters, and Stratomatic Baseball is where you lay out like moves, mm-hmm. and they go in order. Oh. Which, in Magic, is called the stack, like a programming stack. Cards resolve in a certain order when you play them. Gotcha. Hmm. Yeah. Um, they ordered their first print after getting an investment at um, Origins Game Fair in 93. They debuted it at Gen Con in August of 93 and sold out immediately. It was an immediate success. Where it was called Magic and Mana Clash, then. Yeah, the original name was Magic, and they were told that they couldn't copyright that because it's too generic. Then they called it Mana Clash, which... 
I don't know, it doesn't sound like much to me. Um, and then I think they said all the Magic the Gathering, because the initial idea was, like, elemental magic coming together to, like, cause effects and that sort of thing. I have no, I don't know what that origin is from, but that's what they settled on. Um, and ever since, it's exploded into this massive kind of, like, genre of game, almost. Yeah. And kind of the idea behind magic <laughs> is you you play this kind of almighty being that is summoning creatures, right? Using certain types of energy. Oh, like Yu-Gi-Oh. Kind of like that. But yeah. I, I think that it it also has like a spin on like the Pokemon side where like you have energy cards and you have to spend okay. the energy to summon the creatures. Um, but at the end of the day, it's kind of like a role-playing game where you're playing as this summoner who's fighting another summoner. Is that is that kind of sure. okay. the the gist from the outsider's perspective? Yeah, you use mana, which is what the the magic casting cost in uh, Magic: The Gathering is called. So you have five different colors of mana that are um, adjacent to different you know uh, environments. So you have green, which is obviously the lush. You have red, which is the burn. You have black, which is usually swamps. You have blue, which is like the minefield, and then you have white, which is going to be like the moral uh, morality order, that kind of thing, which is like the plains. Um, and then using uh, a combination, I mean, you don't have to. You can do a solid solo white color um or a solo any color but usually it's a combination of colors up to five clearly um depending on what's going on but uh that is how you 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 obtain the mana and then use that mana as casting cost to cast other creatures on the spells uh, onto the playing field and that's the the basic rundown of 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 all that Mm -hmm. but okay yeah so you're probably gonna have to explain like the whole playing thing later on because i was one of those kids that bought the pokemon cards and then just kind of looked at them and didn't know how to play <laughs> sure oh, yeah. no problem but please continue Dylan, what's oh next? um yeah so pretty much the entire objective of a game of magic is to be the last person with any health remaining you start with 20 you can get attacked you can have spells cast at you you can lose life if you hit zero you're out of the game if you're the only if it's two people whoever hits zero first loses you do that like zach said by like Playing lands, like the like the idea is that you draw memories from your lands you've been in, and then you use that mana to cast thematic spells or summon mm-hmm. creatures and attack people and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. and really, the game goes until either one person hits zero life or you run out of cards in your deck. And mm-hmm. depending on the decks involved, that can be anywhere from like a real quick five minutes to effectively just a stalemate, depending on the decks involved. Mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons that I was really attracted to Magic Gathering more than my little brother forcing me to play as his opponent was there were so many different types of ways you could play. Like there is obviously the standard, the type two, the type two, which is um, you're just playing uh, a deck of sixty cards. Usually about twenty of those are lands um, versus somebody else's sixty cards. And the way you build a deck is you want to try to stick to about 60. Um, and you can't have more than four of the same card in your deck. And then you play whatever, whatever. Now, because you have so many cards, if you are a type 2 player, those cards can eventually just become illegal like we were saying earlier. So then you could play different styles of one. And the one that I think uh, really attracted to me was called uh, Commander. And Commander was where you would build a deck of 100 cards 
using like one of these special cards as well, but you can only have one of each of the type of cards within your deck. And so there's just different styles of playing of Magic, which is so interesting, because once you acquire billions of cards, most of which are now illegal if you go to any kind of tournament, you don't really know what to do. So, um, And then you also have high-level players, which play... Um, what what is it called, Dylan? Where you have like a the sealed deck? Uh, uh, drafts, limited, right? yeah. I think it's limited. Yeah, the f- yeah, limited drafts. So like you would have like you would get a bunch of friends together and you would open like four to five packs of cards, like brand new, there in front of everyone. You'd choose one card and then pass the whole deck to like your right. That person would choose a card from that and pass their that whole deck, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, till you just built this random uh, at the moment deck and then try to play it that way. So there's just so many different styles of gameplay when it comes to Magic that makes it interesting. Even if you're a, a continual player, because they're constantly just changing the rules and changing cards and changing things. Like there was a long time that uh, the, uh, uh, there's a, a style of, of deck called milling, where what you would do is you would just try to make the other person run out of cards. Like you would have a card they would say discard 10 cards and discard uh, the next five cards and because if you ran out of your deck your game was over so you just automatically lost mm-hmm. but then two more two more sets later pretty much made milling obsolete like there, there wasn't a chance for to mill if you just put one card in your deck that said if this card ever hits your graveyard shuffle it back into your library yep. that means that everything every deck that you built to mill somebody those all just went away completely. So you had to deconstruct your deck and then rebuild it up to, for the, the new thing, which was your vampires or werewolves or you know cards that could flip over, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Magic, the <laughs> way that Magic structures its releases kind of enforces an ever-changing meta in the tournament mm-hmm. scene. Like, one set will be very heavy emphasis on milling, and then the next set will have a very heavy emphasis on... Uh, turning your lands into creatures so they can like still have like a bunch of walking trees going to attack people, and then all the milling stuff phases out, like Zach said. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very interesting to see the meta kind of shift across the way that the across the span of the expansions, especially between you know between the colors themselves. So like, say you have like a deck that is red and white. Now those two co- those two colors are specifically designed to be slightly faster, slightly more aggressive, um, and then the white itself will help add health back to your main character. But if you go up against something that's more like blue and black, those are swamp creatures that are designed to like degrade and dissolve all of your stuff and you know really kind of work with controlling things. You know the blue color is all about control. Uh, one of my favorite decks that I ever built was called Landfall. And right around, uh, I guess it was like eight years ago, Zendikar was like the big, the main one. Yeah. And they decide they designed this thing called Landfall. And what this is is every time you would just put a land into play, something would trigger with any of your creatures. So you could put one land into play, and then all of your creatures were boosted by like three as far as health or you know uh, power goes. So uh, and then you could just play it in our land real fast and then just double all of your people. So each style, you know, even within each individual core set, if you just build a deck that has just a slightly different color palette, uh, just that the way that deck runs is just so different and so usually evil. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's also a very good way of enforcing people to constantly buy new cards to keep up. Yeah. yeah. Which is why Magic has earned the nickname Cardboard Crack. <laughs> yeah, I can attest to that. Yeah. Buy into that. Uh, and, and, 
Well, the guy who created this actually uh, got so many complaints from people by constantly buying you know magic cards and magic decks and this and that that he designed a new game and Dylan mentioned it earlier called Keyforge. And what that is designed to is that you buy a deck of cards and that deck cannot be altered at all. You can't add to it. You can't subtract from it. That deck is what it is. And each deck is designed by a computer program to be random and original so that no two decks you buy can be the same and that each of them should really be able to stand up to some degree against every other one out there. And Dylan and I have a couple decks each and we were kind of playing around with that too, but... uh, um, yeah. yeah, magic. <laughs> magic. <laughs> Keyforge feels very similar to magic, but Keyforge is definitely like a, a a magic distilled. I would say it's different enough, but it feels very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas magic, it's just like there there are so many options out there. It's difficult to pinpoint one. Like you might be going up against some dude who makes it like that. You know, you you turn all your lands into creatures and then you have them attack everybody or a guy who summons a whole bunch of squirrels and they just overwhelm you. <laughs> or someone who casts a single fireball and it takes away your entire health. Or someone who just makes it so you can't play anything at all, ever. And you just concede, which is the most infuriating to play against. But <laughs> anymore, it's difficult to do. Um, recently, Wizards has been... I don't know, the power creep has been interesting and they've definitely played to the more casual formats recently. With uh, certain mm-hmm. releases, it definitely feels like they are um, shifting the paradigm a little bit. And that's kind of what they did with D&D as well, was kind of shift more towards the casual player. Yeah, and something they did with, with Magic that I thought was super interesting is they built so many universe elements into it. So there are comic books that, you know, if you really want to know the storyline of where these cards come from and, and who is technically controlling them at the time, whether it's you know Nicola Bolas or uh, Jace the Mind Sculptor. And so they put out little comics before the core sets come out that give you the story as to what's going on up until then and then there's cartoons that are also you know linked to it and so it's just it's so interesting the amount of detail and thought that goes into especially when you think that up until about five years ago they were putting out you know four sets every single year that would have a linear storyline as to Mm -hmm. why these cards are being introduced Every every set until I think about 2015 was accompanied by a novel, like a 300 to 400 page full length novel. Wow! Which outlined the Whoa. story <laughs> of the expansion. So like when they they did one that was set, it, the entire trilogy was about people chasing after this like orb that was from a different world that was caused obsession but was really powerful. And all three books were about people kind of being driven mad in their quest for it and how it affected the world. The next one was set in a different universe and it was about um it was about like the spirit of the world was angry because its like child spirit had been stolen by some mad king or something like that. Next one and for a long time all of the magic stuff was really intertwined. Like a lot of the trilogies led into each other, it followed the same group of characters, which is where my Discord username comes from. Yogmoth used to be like the overarching magic villain. He was like a he was an exiled god who like took over and abandoned the universe and then led an invasion of his home world. But until uh, they they stopped that recently because they just weren't selling. The novels just weren't selling, which is a real shame because uh they played a massive influence in my decision to become a writer is that one of my goals was to originally write the novels for the magic expansions. <laughs> and um, 
now I have to do, like do stuff that's original, ah, which is what a know. shame. Yeah, <laughs> I remember hearing from somebody who played Sorry. Magic that there was a time where it was the outcome of the like giant Magic tournaments that would sometimes control the lore, because in playing Magic you were somehow a part of it. Is that correct? I don't think that was Magic. I think that was Legend of the Five Rings. Yes, that might have been it. Yeah, yeah, Still which is cool. also very cool, mm-hmm. but um. Pretty, yeah, substantially different. Different, but, for sure. Um, there were actually uh, tournament champions from the Magic Grand Prix mm-hmm. who were made into cards. Like, if you won mm. the yearly invitational, you would have your feature, you would have your likeness featured on a design of a card of your choosing. Wow. That's very cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, let me, let me ask this. Is there a season, I guess, I'm calling them seasons, forgive me. But is there like a particular set or deck that stands out to you that was released where this is like the quote unquote glory days of uh, Magic? Um, for me, I think it was the M10 set, that core set, because that was right when like I think Zendikar picked up, uh, and that was like right before Worldwake. Um, but that M10 right up until M11 set to me was one of the coolest ones. Um, but I think it was the next set that introduced the Levelers. And I thought that that was very interesting and a new way to, to add on to uh, magic. So what you would do is, um, you know, in most magic, you would, you know, tap your mana to, you know, tap your land to produce mana to cast things. Uh, but in this one set where you could actually tap mana to just add a level to your cards so you can keep one card out there and tap all of your mana and then turn this guy into like a level six something, which would do ungodly powers, Um so I think that for me it was the, the the set that had the levelers in it, and then the ally. I'm not uh, Dylan. You might be able to help me out with what set the ally uh, was. That was um, Lorwyn. It was like the the whimsical like halfling one, I think. Yeah, that was that was the first time I ever built a, a five color deck, and it was because every color had a couple allies, and as long as you had an ally from any color, they would all boost each other, you know, up and up and up. The same way like um. Uh, what's that one deck I have, Dylan? That 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 uh, uh, the um, uh, not the Skeksis. Slivers. <laughs> I would say, yeah, the yeah, Slivers. Yeah, the goddamn Slivers. <laughs> so yeah, so each one of those will, you know, in effect, do something to each other card. So th- those to me are, are my favorite sets. It. What's yours, it's Dylan? it's hard for me to choose. I got into the game really early. I got into the game back in. Probably Prophecy, which was re- originally released in like 2000, and that's when the storyline was just ramping up to the conclusion of this invasion storyline they'd been doing for like 10 years. Um, I had a sliver deck at one point. <laughs> I think the first time that I really felt like this was a really cool idea was a block called the Mirrodin block because the world was named Mirrodin, and the idea was that everything was part artifact which is like uh the the way they describe machines and technology so everyone had like metal grafted onto their bodies and i think that's where the levelers came in zach i think that's where they originally were um but it was it was this cool block where everything was like kind of science fantasy a little bit everybody had some bits of metal on them the world was part metal the grass was like little little blades of like literal blades of grass that worked as like natural fortification and it had a lot of really interesting synergy, and that's when my uh, that's when my friends and I who played really kind of um, 
started deeply strategizing about what type of decks we would play. Hmm. Interesting. So I guess it's more like the the memories around those particular things. Yeah, it's, it's always the memories around like who you're playing mm-hmm. with and like and, and the stories that you're building on because like for me it was always my little brother was in tournaments and he would build decks and give me those decks and say I need you to play this to see if I can beat it and so I had to learn how to build a deck just so that I could have fun playing him. Um, but I w- I will say and Dylan I'm, I'm curious I don't know if I ever asked you this but um my favorite solo magic card I will say though is from uh, M10. And it is uh, the Relentless Rats. And <laughs> that sounds was... terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it's awful. It's because th- there was this one rule where, rat, like you know, like I said earlier, you're only allowed to have four of the same card, and that's to really stop people from just overrunning you. But for some reason, you were allowed to have as many rats as you owned in a deck. And once you put a rat out, the next rat would just be plus two, plus two. The next one would be plus three, plus three, and et cetera, et cetera. So I built a deck that was... It was like 16 black lands and just 44 rats, <laughs> and it was awful. And then it turns out there's one card that says, uh, uh, it's like, take every card out of your deck of the same name and uh, something, something. And like, so my brother played this one card, and I literally had to lose 44 cards out of my entire deck, which left me just lands, and I lost very, very Oh, fast. man. So I say rats is my favorite uh, slash least favorite card because of that experience. Yeah, I think if you're not expecting the rats, then they probably hit pretty hard. But if you see them coming, unfortunately, it does seem like they worked out in the game kind of to keep that level, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, it's nice to know that there are ways to kind of beat because one might argue that that's broken. But if, if there's a way to defeat it, then it's not. Which is really awesome. Yeah, there's yeah, it's rock right. paper scissors. Mm-hmm. There's only there's only a couple of cards that I think just can never be played again because they just weren't. They were almost too good. Like the Black Lotus, that card itself was in the very first set, and even today, I think one sold recently for like a hundred and sixty some thousand dollars. But that that card is just absurd because by playing this one card, it gives you three mana. So on turn one, you can just drop like a like a three. Per, uh, you know, uh, and it, it it was it was a crazy card. So not many cards can just you know not have a workaround like the rats like it was a good idea but then once you figure out that one way to beat it then that was it and every every style of deck and every card has a nemesis to a degree and uh i don't know dylan were you playing magic the one uh year that that one it was like a goblin inquisitor and what it would do is like you would put him out and you would just start giving your cards to the other player do you remember that that card yeah oh man and it was like and everyone was like, why would you ever have this card? Like, what is the point of this card? But it turns out that there was one other card in that set that if you had that card, you just could not win. So you would play this goblin and just keep giving that person card after card after card until you had to give them the one card that says, well, now you just can't win. And they had to find a way to get rid of their own cards now. So you're making like your opponent fight themselves just to not lose. So yeah, Magic is a it, it's a, it's an awesome game that, that just constantly evolves. And as long as you're smart, you got there it. are there are a few <laughs> cards that have been banned because they are difficult to play. Oh, not, banned not, cards! Not play That's against, exciting. not play against, but difficult to use them in a modern context. So like, there's a card where you play <laughs> it, and then its ability. Literally says, and it's it's named Chaos Orb. Flip flip Chaos Orb onto the playing area from a height of at least one foot. Chaos Orb must turn completely over at least once, or it is discarded with no effect. 
when Chaos Orb lands, any cards in play that it touches are destroyed, as is Chaos Orb. And so, there's no way to make that work in any sort of legitimate format, because how do you regulate someone flipping a card onto a table, aside from that height? Right. Mm -hmm. There's another one that's about, like, it's a falling star, and it kind of does the same thing. Um, hey, Dylan, what's that one card that says, like, uh, if you play this at, like, its max uh, mana, you can grab any card from any other deck that you own? Man, do you remember I remember card? it, but I don't know. I don't remember what it's called. Yeah, like, my brother, like, I remember he would just draw this one card and would just start snickering. I'm like, what are you doing? And he would play this card and just get up from the table and go into the basement and start rifling through not even just magic cards. Like, any card game from anything he's ever Wait, played. Wait, you get to use like, any I'm card? This card says you're allowed to play any card from anything that you own. And it's the weirdest card, and he would just come down, and he would, like, bring up a card from, like, this other game, and he's like, well, here, this means I can attack for 20. I'm like, that's not even this game. What are you talking about? <laughs> Pulls like, out his you play business cards? Charizard. That'd be fun. <laughs> it was like, it was like <laughs> Wish or something. Oh, man, I forget what it was called, but he, yeah, he, he would, because at, at his height, he was, I think, uh, nationally ranked at 8th, and he went to Vegas and did this, you know, when he was... I think like 16 and went to Vegas to do this big tournament. And I remember he was in the very last one. And if he like did this one card, he would have uh, been in fifth place. Maybe it's that story. He tells but, at um, Thanksgiving every year where he's like, I could have, I could have been something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, you're right. Like in the middle, in the middle of dinner, for some reason you look over and he's just upset. And you're like, what's wrong, Pat? And he's like, Oh man, I tell you, <laughs> I think I, magic. I think I found it, Zach. It's called the, what is it? the ring of Maruf. Oh yeah, that's the it. next time. The next <laughs> oh. time you would draw a card this turn, instead put a card you own from outside the game into your hand. Wow. No, yep. technically, <laughs> and, and he would just technically what that means. There's a there's an option in Magic for deck building where you have a sideboard. Those are 15 cards you leave outside the game that are in addition to your deck. Before you play a match, you can swap cards from your sideboard into your deck and vice versa. So it's like if you know you're going up against a certain deck, you can swap in a certain type of card to counter that. Or if you have a card that brings stuff from outside the game in, you can bring it in from your sideboard during the game. Now, the thing about casual games is that, personally, I never played anyone who actually had a sideboard. So anytime it said outside the game, it meant we bring out our big long rectangular box, we pull the lid off, and we get the card we need. Yep. And he would definitely do that. But outside <laughs> of the game, is it could also be read as, like, outside of Magic the Gathering, which is interesting. It could. Yeah. Under official tournament rules, it does mean from your sideboard. Mm. Like, this game was this game was designed by mm. mathematics and computer geeks. Right. They, they, they technically have rules for everything, but whether you acknowledge it in casual or not is a different story. Mm. Well, there, mm. is, there is one line in the rule book that says... When in doubt, always refer to the verbiage of the card. That's true. So the card is the card is actually spe you know it's specifically written to where if you just if you can if you can fight it, you're probably right. If if that's how the words are, and my brother was a stickler for that kind of thing, is read the card then read the card out loud. And I'm like I, I know what, I know what it says, man, but you can't just put monop you can't play monopoly cards in here. Like that's it. And you can't like, well, just, you can't play get out of jail free now cards. You, that doesn't work here. He's like. <laughs> Yeah, he's like, well, now you're going to be rent. And I'm like, I don't even understand. Do I have to give you real money? I don't have any Monopoly money. So you lose. You're bankrupt. Yeah, and then he's like, did I ever tell you I'm now she ranked? I'm like, yes, Patrick, I, I know was this there. Story, dude. I was there when it happened. 
<laughs> God, I love that. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. awesome. But yeah, I mean, there, there's even like a free game on Xbox Live. You can you can download and play and just just get better and get better. And they keep updating the newest cards, so you can actually find the newer cards on there. And the way the Xbox magic works is. If you win enough games on that game, they'll send you real decks in the mail. Wow, really? So even that, fr- that f- yeah, they're they're hustlers for that for that yeah. card game because they know once you start playing, you're hooked. Mm-hmm. You can't just get two decks. You have to buy a fat pack. You have to get a playing mat. You have to get the extra mana somehow, and you, you you're, you're in like four hundred dollars just to get one viable deck. Wow. They uh, yeah. when they they launched uh, Magic the Gathering Arena in 2019, yep. which is the online version, which is free to play. And the beta, before it was open, or it was open beta, saw 3 million active users. And as of this year, over a billion games have been played in Magic the Gathering Arena in a year. Wow. It's it's that yeah. popular. Yeah. Yeah, I use it. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, I moved here from Delaware, and in Delaware, every single comic shop slash card game store would have their version of Magic Nights, and they would do either Magic Mondays, mm-hmm. Magic Fridays. Friday Night Magic. Um, at, yeah, Friday Night Magic is, is everywhere, and you would go in there, and there's like 60 to 80 people that you would have never seen before in your life just ready to play Magic, and it, it is such a cool underground community that a lot of people just, like like Dylan said, it is the most popular card game that most people do not know about. But if you if you know the right circles and you go to the right places, like you would just be just slapped with this community of, uh, of just uh, amazing people. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so I have two I have two questions as of right now. Um, my first question would be, if you're building a deck, what what's kind of the mindset that you go into it with? Like, what is the like? How do you build a stable deck uh, for playing Magic: The Gathering? Yeah. How do you strategize that? Well, okay, oh. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna start because I'm, I'm probably wrong, so I'm huh. gonna Dylan answer later because he'll be he'll be correct. Uh, but for me, it is was there a right and wrong? Yes, and and I'll tell you the wrong answer. Uh, uh, for me, it was always the coolest card that I had. I wanted to play that card, so I would build a deck around that card. And that is very stupid, but that's how I mm-hmm. worked. Um, like I had a what what um, a, a Johnny. Uh, oh a Johnny yeah, Goldmane. Right, I had a Johnny Goldmane, and I was like, "Oh, this is, it was a foil, and it was my first like commander." And I'm like, "This is cool. I'm gonna build a whole deck around this." Now, my brother, on the other hand, he would find out cards I liked, and then he would build a deck that would easily make me angry. Um, so, so you get uh, to be number eight, baby. Of... <laughs> yeah, exactly. He, he he needed to beat somebody, and I was always that person. But he, he always had a very uh, uh, like mathematical way of putting decks together, and it was always really based around the, the color. <laughs> For him, it was always the color black. He liked black. He would do black, red, black, green. Uh, he would do any kind of version, but he, he wanted to make sure that his purpose in playing games was card control. He wanted to always have more cards in his hand than you. He wanted to make sure he can get rid of your cards, and he was a controlling player. So that's how his decks were always. Uh, what, what What's your style? I though? mean... <laughs> Honestly, I don't. I'm not much different when I do casual. I find a card that I really like, and I'm like, "All right, how can I either have the most absolute fun with this card and win three out of five, ideally, or what's like a really fun interaction I like?" And what's interesting is that um, there are kind of player arc. There, there have become player archetypes unofficially in in Magic. 
um, which represent kind of like the main three and a half, four styles of play that there are. And those are Timmy, the power gamer. Uh, they like really big monsters. They like swinging for a lot of damage in one go. And they like just kind of smashing people to bits. There's the Johnny, which is a lot more like creative. Um, they like to win, but they like to do it with style. They may not be efficient every time, but they when they do win, it is big and showy and dramatic. And then there's Spike. And Spike is that serious play-to-win guy, competitive, like, optimization guys. Um, so generally, like, if you kind of know what your playstyle is, you find some cards you like, and you find the style you like, and you just kind of go from there. Um, it's hard It's hard to optimize, though, because there are so many deck options you'll play against, but you always include some stuff that can remove stuff from the board, you always include some stuff that can shuffle your deck, you always include plenty of land, otherwise you can't play anything. Yeah. Unless you are fans of Eldrazi. If you're fans of Eldrazi, and then every other rule when it comes to making anything goes out, and you're just like, <laughs> I need I need to drop this 15-15 just, you know, monument guy. Like, uh, If you guys know Magic at all, mm-hmm. um, I, I forget when it was, but the Eldrazi came out, and they were these colorless artifact creatures. So if you build like a deck that was like, remove all white creatures or you know uh, blah, blah blah like these were just colorless creatures and some of them like they would have I forget what it was called but it was called Annihilator mm-hmm. and just by playing them like there was this one card that had Annihilator 4 and just by me playing this card you had to just automatically get rid of four of your permanent cards before I do anything else and so if you had like a deck that had these Eldrazi in it it was just like oh man this sucks <laughs> I don't even want to play anymore <laughs> there there are a few deck archetypes that play like that Eldrazi are one there's a mm-hmm. we mentioned it earlier the creature Slivers which I, Zach and I both have owned a Sliver deck at one point because it is the cheesiest of like play to win aggressive creature decks because the idea is that they're a hive mind so every Sliver you play buffs every other Sliver in play so you play one, hmm. all slivers get stronger. You play another one, all slivers grow wings. You play another one, all slivers move faster. And it, it becomes this ramp up where the other person has to kill you before you play like four creatures, and by that point the game's effectively over. Yeah, <laughs> and they're all such low casting costs, like they're like one or two each, so by turn three you can have like six things that are just like just pouncing on you pretty quickly. What else you got, Dylan? Oh, um, and then... Like, you don't even have to use creatures. There are decks that are entirely just spells. Like, mm-hmm. it's effectively, in-universe, your character sitting there and just flinging fireballs and lightning bolts and weird vortexes and causing black holes to absorb everything. What creature are uh, you summoning, silly human? I am the creature. Fireball, fireball, fireball. Yeah, kinda. <laughs> um, there are decks yeah. where... I'm trying to think of some novelty decks, even. Uh, Zach mentioned mill decks. There are decks where you draw your entire deck into your hand, don't draw any mm-hmm. more cards, and then gain infinite amount of life. Yeah, that's um, that's unbeatable, I imagine. I mean, yeah, kinda. How do you beat that? How do you uh, beat infinite life? Tell me. <laughs> you don't. You don't play in the first place. Yeah, you quit. Well, yeah. You throw your oh, stuff down. You go get Taco the Bell. AI trick. You you. F- yeah, you actually. There's a lot of things you can do about that. So there's one card. I played a lot of white. I was a there's a thing called Weenie White, which is if you play mono white. <laughs> uh, and there was this one card that was like, if you have forty health, you win. 
And so your all your gameplay, you weren't even really playing against another person. You were just trying to build your health fast and fast and fast just to get to forty. And then you put this one creature out, and then you you just win. And that's like the Felidar Sovereign, I think his name is. Um, wow. But yeah, there there's yeah there there's just so many ways to like just win and and just distract other people from winning. Like uh, my brother had a deck where he would play a card, and it, the what it would do, it would just um. Uh, Dylan, what's it called when you had to remove them? Oh, it would exile the card. So you would exile the card, and then at turn five, you could just play all exiled cards immediately <laughs> from your hand. So he would just like throw cards away, throw cards away, throw cards away. And I'm like, yeah, I'm jabbing you with one, and jabbing you with two, and doing all this stupid damage. And then by turn five, he had like ten cards out. And it's like, <laughs> I, I can't do anything against this. Like, I don't understand like how you're playing this. And then, well, like, the, and a lot then of strategy it, involved. Yeah, because then they put out those god cards, and um, that's kind of when I stopped <laughs> yeah. really investing hard in magic was right around the time of the god cards. And not not because of the, the style of gameplay, it's just I started doing other things, and I couldn't spend much more money into magic. Yeah. Um, well, there, but the, there definitely was this point where the power creep started to feel very concrete across, across the board. Not um, The thing about magic is that tournament-wise, you have formats, some of which only allow recent cards, some of which only allow all cards. So the power creep in what was called Vintage, which was every card ever released, minus the banned ones, you could feel the power creep because you could play with every card. And then they started releasing, I think with uh, in 2013 or so, they started making Planeswalker cards, and the players of the games in-universe are Planeswalkers. They're the people who can move between universes, they're very powerful wizards, they're the ones who, like, summon stuff. So they introduced Planeswalker as a type of card. Then they started introducing, like, god cards, which were just a type of creature that were super strong. And now, I don't know, I haven't bought any cards in... I think the last one I bought was Ix, Ixidor, Ixidan? It's, it was the Conquistadors and Dinosaurs, which is pretty cool. That but, would have been um, the only deck I played, just because of the yeah. name. Conquistadors oh, on yeah. Dinosaurs, that's what I am. <laughs> If you want to and try like, to beat it, go for it. And like Chinese-inspired vampire empires, like it was, it was kind of a, it was hmm. really out there, but it was a pretty fun, like flavor-wise expansion. They kept introducing certain cards that, you know, you compare it to a card that was released previously, and you're like, all right, this is exactly the same, but it has a single line on it that makes it objectively better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's kind of inevitable for a game that's been going for almost thirty years. Mm -hmm. But in recent years, the power creep has definitely been noticeable. Yeah, but they, they do keep doing things to, to, to keep the advantage to, to try to stay down the middle. So, for instance, there those cards where, like, you just can't take damage, right? Um, but then you also have uh, 10 poison counters that you're allowed to absorb. So your person has 20 health, like, I guess you... If you have a Planeswalker, the Planeswalker now is kind of another you, so that thing also has health, and then you can also acquire poison. So if I, like, with my Sliver deck, one of the creatures would just do poison damage, which means it doesn't take any health away from you or anything, really, it would just give you one poison counter. And there's really no way to get rid of poison counters, but if you acquire ten of them, no matter what your health was, no matter whatever was going on, you just died. So there's always ways to get around certain decks. It's just you don't know what you're... Like, when you go to a tournament, you don't know what you're playing against until they drop those first, like, three cards, and you're like, oh, okay, I probably shouldn't have made just a straight vampire <laughs> deck because they, they got this thing going on. Um, 
but yeah, there, there's always ways in and out of uh, anything, and, and nothing is. I don't think there's any deck that has won consistently, and uh, it just has you know steamrolled things. Like my brother, for instance, like he'll go through all of the winning. Uh, like they'll, they'll put like whoever wins the tournament for Magic, they'll post every single card that was in that person's deck. And what a lot of guys will do is they'll reprint all those cards and make proxy decks, and they'll test out how that deck plays against their deck, so they know if they ever played against the champion deck, they'll know how certain things are. So you can always kind of figure out like cool tricks and and things uh, and, and weird combos that no one thought about, like giving them your cards. Very cool. Um, so my, my last question and kind of just the bow on top of this awesome conversation that we've had, um, how do you guys see like the future of magic going? Do you see like it holding up for like a long period of time? Are they still constantly making enough changes and evolving it? Uh, I know we kind of touched on that with kind of the virtual stuff that they're releasing, but especially in like the times that we're in now, like gathering, which is half the game's title is, uh, pretty difficult, but um altogether do you guys see like magic continuing on into the future for like generations or um what do you guys think the the longevity of it is what do you got Dylan? i mean i don't i don't think it's really going anywhere but it's definitely changing i think it's going to move primarily digital but they're going to keep printing the going to keep printing the physical cards because until trees go extinct or they stop selling altogether they're going to keep making them um, they, they've shown that they're not afraid to mix up the format. Like they went, they went from the three expansion blocks down to two blocks and now they are, we don't know how many numbers each expansion is going to be. We'll just release them throughout the year. So they've shown that they can at least like adapt as it goes, but I think it's primarily going to continue online. I know, um, the Russo brothers revealed that they've made a deal with Netflix where they're going to do an animated show based on magic. Ooh. They haven't released what the story is going to be, but I'm really hoping it's the Weatherlight because that's the only magic story that's worth following, I think. They do good stuff. Um, they do. Um, there's rumors of a live-action movie, and I hope that doesn't come to fruition because I have no faith in that format anymore. It has uh, never worked out in the past. <laughs> not for Avatar, not for... Nope. Oh, uh, didn't League of... No, not it wasn't once. League of Legends. What game had it? Warhammer? No. Uh, War Warhammer. Dragons. Dungeons? Well, Dungeons and Dragons did too. Well, they had they, they yeah. had pretty good live action movies. If you're counting like gamers, have you guys seen gamers? No, gamer gamers is good. Nope. Gamers and uh, there's a second gamers as well. They're both like fan made back in like the early 2000s, like college projects. But they're live. They're full length D and D movies, and they're pretty good. Wait, is have you a... seen have you seen Dungeons and Dragons with Jeremy Irons and have... one of the Wayans oh, brothers? Great. I have not. And, um, it's so good. Oh, you who's the, who's the nope? Who's the actor from Ghost World? Thora Birch. Oh. Wow. Uh, yep. that, well, that's something I'm going to have to look into immediately after this. Oh, Jeremy Irons is a great time in, in the Dungeons & Dragons movie. So he good. Is hamming, <laughs> he is hamming it up. Uh, oh, but man. yeah, D Dylan is a, Dylan's an advocate for the Warhammer movie. He loves that thing. I will defend it as a solid video game adaptation. I wouldn't show it to someone who didn't play the video game. <laughs> yeah. But someone who but, watched the video game, or watched the video game, played the video game, I think they'll get something out of it. Okay. Yeah, but if you talk about if you talk about longevity, I mean, like I said earlier, somebody just last year bought a card that is an illegal to use card for a hundred and sixty thousand dollars. I yeah. mean, you don't spend that kind of Whoa. money and still make counterfeit mm. cards if that's going to go away anytime soon. That's that's very true. There there are areas of academic study dedicated to functions of this game. Like people study deck building and card composition. 
and Magic the Gathering Finance is has a Wikipedia page. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> even, even even some of the artists on the cards mm-hmm. are become celebrities because of the art that they produce for Magic. I mean, mm-hmm. they have thousands of submissions every single year just for people to try to get onto a card. Uh, Noah Bradley, if you guys are into uh, fantasy artwork, is one of the yeah. most prolific Magic artists, and his stuff is very good, even when it's not Magic related. Very striking fantasy imagery. Very mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things about collectible card games is usually looking at the art. So I know that Magic is one of those ones that has like beautiful card art. So for a long time, the art were or the art was done as full-sized hand paintings, mm-hmm. and um, they recently changed to digital. Like digital, well, not only, but you can definitely tell which ones were made in a digital program versus what was painted on a canvas, photographed and uploaded. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, very cool. Uh, well, we're going to take a quick promotional break, and then after we get back from that break, uh, Nick is going to take us into our quick this for this week. So stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This week for our quick this, uh, Nick has something special prepared for us. Last week he talked about uh, Fallout. What do you got for us, pal? Talked about Fallout 4. Yeah. So um, looking back on this, uh, I wrote this in kind of a a steamed days. I was a little, I was a little angry. I was, I was a little peeved, right? Because it's gonna uh, be one of those quick this, isn't it? I mean, yes, but it's not about the actual form of entertainment that I that I did in fact consume. Um, Okay. So let's get into it. Okay. So. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but my night, nice drawing neck account on Instagram has gone dark. I haven't made a post since October 31st, and after completing the Inktober challenge, I've decided to take some time away from the social media world for no other reason other than fatigue. I'm just tired of posting and checking in to see how everything is doing every hour, and then neurotically checking every break I get at work. You see, Instagram started out as a fun thing I did to show others my dumb drawings, but slowly snowballed into something similar to an obsession, with a part of my brain saying, check your phone every number of seconds. And after this, I decided to check out a documentary called The Social Dilemma, which is what this quick di- this is about today. So you guys heard about this? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. You're in for a treat. So let me begin by saying this docudrama will change the way you think about certain aspects of life. So if you'd rather stay in the dark about the shady underbelly of social networks, that's okay too. It ain't for everybody. But if you're on the fence about it, allow me to sway your opinion to entertain this. And you might be asking what this has to do with entertainment. And to that, I would answer with a rhetorical question. What is it do you think when you're, what is it when you do when you're, when you're in the line, six feet behind the person with a shopping cart full to the brim? Why you probably whip out your phone and browse social media, of course. And that's what, that's where all our waiting time goes towards quick little bites of entertainment. Now, let me ask a non-rhetorical question to get your brains working in the right direction. What is the biggest threat to our country right now? Coronavirus. Disinformation. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to hop on that. Okay. Disinformation. All right, there you go. We're I, getting somewhere. I think I'm going to jump on the disinformation uh, kind of. I think the biggest threat is absolutely the spread of disinformation. Yeah. And it, it almost compounds coronavirus in the first place, right? Yeah, so that's a good point. You might yeah. you might think it's like nuclear war, maybe it's COVID, you know? 
maybe it's the divisive political climate. And if you were thinking politics, you'd be correct. The next question is, why or perhaps did we get like this? Now, there's a long leap when we get from Walter Cronkite to, say, Facebook nowadays, both in time and in policy. But let's say there's a disagreement in what facts are in this day and age. News used to be just the news, and nobody questioned that. Now people seem to seem to think facts are garnered from those quick hits of information on your newsfeed. Of course, life is full of nuance, and entertainment is full of nuance, as we've learned very well in this show. And it's not all black and white binary paradigms in any medium, unless we're talking about machine code. But even then, if we could shift that away from being ones and zeros and set in stone and have a bot program itself... Enter the algorithms. This is where this docudrama visually depicts uh, these algorithms in a quote-unquote war room setting with three clones desperately trying to figure out to get a character in the real world to spend more time on their app. This turns into a humongous problem when the character in the scripted segment of the documentary starts missing out on soccer practice and he doesn't socialize with his friends as much anymore. Granted, not everyone is this addicted to social media, but it points out when you give a device to a teen or young adult, their brains aren't developed in a point where they can say, oh, you know, I got to get to soccer practice. I got to put this phone down and get to doing actual stuff. Now, I'm not here to say social media is evil. It's done some good things for people. It's set off on our journey to connect the world and ironically became the thing that divided us all against ourselves. And in defense of the Zuck, He's not behind the curtain with malicious intent. He just happens to be the guy in charge of the algorithms that are printing him money. And since this was released, Twitter and Facebook have taken baby steps into making their sites less prone to fake news and conspiracies. But in my opinion, it's a classic case of too little too late. The damage is already done. We have the users have been exploited for financial gain and data mining. We've had our political views shifted, our, our mental health diminished, and we've seen a role in spreading conspiracy theories as such as Pizzagate and flat earth theories, and we should all be pissed. So have you heard enough yet? I don't know. That's okay. Just keep scrolling. Maybe you'll take baby steps away from social media, but keep listening to podcasts, and maybe someday you'll entertain this. It's the docudrama called The Social Dilemma on Netflix, and I think you should go check it out. Well said. Yeah, well done. He always has such, like, well-written, quick this and <laughs> episodes. Damn. does. Very, very proud of that. Thanks. Yeah, he definitely uh, he has an argumentative uh, a mind. But it, kind of going into the topic that you're talking about, just so we can discuss it real quick, I mean, especially, and I, everybody involved in it, especially this episode, we all kind of take claim in the social media uh, world. Like, that's, that's how we get our name out mm-hmm. there. That's how we get people to listen to us. Um, I know that some nobodies, you guys have, like, at least Instagram accounts for all the podcasts and shows that you guys do. Sometimes we've caught you guys discussing with your own uh, <laughs> own accounts, which is always fun to see. Uh, but we do the same thing. So, but I mean, we're so we're so deep sewn into social media just from a, a rate of trying to find success with the things that we create that it's hard for us as individuals to step away. But you do raise fair points for those who kind of aren't involved that deep in it. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. Don't get me wrong. It's it's the hardest thing in the world to say, you know what? I don't want to be on Instagram or Twitter or you know Reddit anymore and just delete it from your phone because then it'll sneak back and you're like, well, maybe if I'll check it out, it's, it's just, you know, harmless a little, no, just check it out for 10 minutes. What, what could go wrong? Next thing you know, you're flipping through it every hour. So yeah, I happen to, I mean, it's I, tough. I caught that documentary. Uh, I think the one of the first days that it came out there, I was like, oh, what's this? And I'll put it on. And the one quote from that documentary that really stood out was, 
uh, if you're not paying for something, you're the you're the product yeah. or whatever. You're, you're mm-hmm. you know, yep. uh, you know, if if it's free, then you're you're the thing. Um, and that really stood out to me. And you know, yeah, we we do have Instagrams for all of our shows. We have Facebook accounts for the majority of our shows. Um, but when I keep that phrase in mind, it's I'm trying to go in there to sell something. I'm never going on there as a consumer. Mm-hmm. Like you don't, you it'd be very hard for you to find something that is Zach Wiseman on social media because on most social medias I'm nobody because I'm just, I'm nobody on there. I, I'm, I'm I'm not that <laughs> important. You know, I I'm not doing this to, to get something for myself. And even my partner, you know, she had uh, an Instagram account and recently came across like a service that paid her money to deactivate her account and she ended up getting like a couple hundred dollars mm-hmm. on an Amazon thing just to, to for people to see can humans actually stay away from social media but it is a dangerous thing and, and definitely keep in mind that if you're if you're not selling something on there it, it you're you're the one being sold yeah 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 and I can attest wow. to that too that's extremely it's, it's powerful. the closest thing we've had yeah, like, to a human hive mind in that Everybody's a node in this mesh, and everybody is getting a feed, depending mm-hmm. on what they share. And it's both connected us far more than we've ever been connected as a species, but it's also revealed how discordant we are within that connectiveness. Well, that also, yeah. like, the weird thing is, is that, you know, in, in the documentary they go over with Facebook, so say somebody that you, you're, quote, friends with, they say something that you don't like, you're most likely just going to unfriend them instead of like engaging with them right so then you start pushing away people that have opposing ideas so what you're doing is you're surrounding yourselves by people that kind of agree with what you're saying or else you're just going to kick them out of your way so then you kind of stop having conversations with people and then just start liking things people are saying and that's not a conversation that's just you know you're you're, it it turned like facebook turned into a one-way communication tool where i'm going to say something to the world and i refuse to have anyone talk back to me about that and uh Mm. yeah i I took from the same things nick took off that that documentary i took the same things and it it really surprised me it it, it was a powerful thing yeah like we're we're all well aware of like how it works right i mean michael you're a programmer you understand how the algorithm works me i'm in marketing I understand that you're trying to sell things on this, and yet <laughs> here we are. We all use the same things. And I mean, it is it is dangerous that like if you kind of what you were going off of Zach, if you just unfriend the people who say things you don't agree with, what you end up getting is like this machine that does nothing but kind of feed this idea to you and kind of turn everyone who doesn't agree with that into the minority, even if sometimes they aren't. Like, even if it's completely even across the board, just because you've blocked out that other side of the conversation, um, you've kind of programmed yourself to believe that that isn't even real. Like, that doesn't exist. And when it, it your, your approach with it, you see it more as, like, one person's idea rather than the uh, devil's advocate yeah, of your it, it was It was the understanding mm-hmm. that my attention was being sold to people. Uh, and that was something I was like, well, I want, I want my own attention. So... I need to focus mm-hmm. on paying my attention where I need it to go. Uh, yeah, and social media is a terrible, terrible device. It's the attention economy. I can get eyeballs to look at this post for mm-hmm. as long as I need them to be, and I can even pay for that too. Like, I want, I want like uh, a white male, uh, forty years of age or older. Okay, flip a switch. Facebook got it. Serves the ad right to him. So it's yeah, scary. Very scary. Yeah. 
Yeah. Anyways, how do we... Well, thank you, Nick. <laughs> how do we pull this yeah. out? Yeah, how do you... <laughs> well, no, we're leaving it on a scary note. Don't okay. delete your social medias, but keep listening to some nobodies and entertain this. That's Don't delete your Spotify account. Lawyer up, there you delete go. Facebook, yeah. hit the gym. Spotify's cool. Lawyer up. Three steps to a, to a profitable life. Profit. Well, thank you. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, some nobodies, for coming on uh, and talking with us for the last hour on magic the gathering that we really appreciate it uh, it was a lot of fun having you guys on here it's a good time yeah, thanks I, for hope, I hope dylan didn't talk too much he he has a tendency i do <laughs> no it was it was fantastic um and, and we look forward to our next endeavor with yeah. you guys because i mean it's just it's just fun to work with we you guys appreciate that um yeah yeah so uh all that being said do you guys want to plug anything before we sign out here um, yeah, just go to somenobodies.com and just check out all the stuff that we're working on, things that we got going on. Um, like I said, we have a couple of shows that are in between season one and season two. So uh, because of what's going on, we're kind of taking a little bit of a break and making sure people stay safe and not trying to have people around. So we do have a lot of stuff to consume. We do our show Talking Upstream every single Sunday at 4.30 Eastern Time, 2.30 Mountain, where that's me and Dylan just talking for 90 minutes and trying to create cool stories, sometimes with awesome people like Entertain This, sometimes not. So <laughs> that's it. Just go to some nobodies and, uh, and reach out to us. Mm-hmm. Let us know you like us. We do read them. Uh, on that note, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next Friday. See ya. Bye. Bye. This episode of Entertain This was written by Zach and Dylan from Some Nobodies, with additional commentary from Michael Savoya, Alex Steele, and Nick Mustakangas. Our theme music is Rushable by Aaron Spencer, with additional music by DJW. Tune in every Friday for new episodes, and thanks for listening.